and welcome to this week's episode of Have Another Cuppa with me, Daisy Williams. My guest this week is the brilliant Gaynor Styles. She is the artistic director of Theatre Nanorg. I actually worked for Theatre Nanorg for three and a half years. Um, it was my first ever job in the arts out of uni. Um, and it was amazing to sit down with Gaynor and have a catch up about what's been happening over the last... 12 months and the exciting things that are going on now in 2020. I hope you all enjoy. So let's start off with quick fire questions. Okay. So, tea or coffee? Coffee. I don't know if I thought about that then. <laughs> I was like, you've never drunk tea in your life. <laughs> um, show or a concert? Show. Uh, starter or dessert? Starter. Mm. Favourite colour? Quite like teal. Mm. You are a very teal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say teal or pink would give me my guess. Um, any animal, if you could be anyone at all, what would you be? A cow. Is it? Why? Because <laughs> when they got lovely eyelashes. No judging. No judging. <laughs> yeah. They got nice eyelashes. I'm a little bit like dodo. Oh, actually, no. <laughs> I quite like to be a sloth as well. Nice. But that's probably because that's what I'm like a little bit. But no, I think um, yeah, cow. And, but it's like it's not really a good thing to say this, but it's like I used to want to be a cow when I was little because they give milk. <laughs> really, in this day and so, age. Okay. Uh, not sure. Give her of milk. The cow want to be a giver of milk. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of. Yeah. Anyway, no judgments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know that's where we were going to go with that <laughs> one. Um, rugby or football? Oh, that's a difficult one. Because it would have always been rugby. Mm, but you've gone into football. I have gone into football because of the boys. Um, I love... Well, that's, I think <laughs> that, that grunting is the dog. Yeah. Um, I would say... Oh, it's equal, you know. Do you think? Yeah. I sort of... You know, especially after seeing Messi playing Barcelona, mm. that was, like, amazing. Because it's like, oh, that... That is just... What a performance. Like, it's, it's so I quite... Oh, God. I can't call that. Okay, cool. And the last one is, if you could travel anywhere in the world you've not been yet, where'd you like to go? Hmm. Japan. Nice. Have you not been to Japan? No. Have you not? No. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Nice. Why would you want to go to Japan? Oh, there's this little island there that's supposed to be the most serene, zen-like mm. in the world. I can't remember what it's called. But nice. I thought, oh, I'd love to go there. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Fab. Well... That's a nice little segue into our chat because you've done a lot of travelling this year. Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, you started the year in Hong Kong yeah. and finished it in Indonesia. Yeah. Um, so for our audience, if you don't know, Gain is the Artistic Director of Theatre Nanorg. Um, and you've been the Artistic Director now for 20 years, isn't it? You had the anniversary last year, was yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into directing? Because you started as a stage manager... So what was that sort of transition um, from A to B? Um, I think probably I've always wanted to direct. Um, and that was that came from... Oh, sorry, my dog trying to get up. <laughs> Come on, love. Um, that was probably from school where I realised you've got to be really good to be a performer. Mm. And I just didn't... I was I was really nervous about that. So I didn't, I didn't want to go into that. I'm quite bossy which I know isn't really an attribute for directing. Leader, leadership skills. Yeah, leadership skills. <laughs> um, and when I was little, when I used to play with my brother and my cousin, 
we would do shows and I would be in control of those. Ah, right. So it's, you know, something... Started quite early yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've always wanted to do that. Stage management seemed like a natural way into doing theatre professionally. Mm. Um, so it was being involved in something. I didn't know you could actually go into direct. I didn't know there was a direct. It was a career. Sort yeah, of I didn't yeah. realise that. Um, and so it was only really, and I, I, you know, we've spoken about this before, you know, I've been really lucky because people have given me opportunities to direct. So I know that that is how I got into it, really. Mm. Um, and also being chopsy in the room, I think. Mm. Um, speaking to directors and going, oh, you can see, it's very easy to be on the outside. Mm. When you're directing something and you're in it, you sort of sometimes can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. But if somebody else on the side, like a DSM or an ASM, or lighting design will see through that mm. and it's really sometimes as a director you're like oh yeah shut up now mm. my ideas <laughs> so you but you've just got to say actually yeah they have got a good that is a good idea and we should yeah. do that you know mm. um and i i think i worked with very generous people who allowed me to sort of go what mm. about this what about this you know mm. nice and you know how how much do you think the company has changed in 20 years because <gasps> you know it's such a long time it is a long time isn't it I don't think the company's changed. I think I have. Ah, okay. I think it's a lot to do with being a little bit more relaxed about my ability, mm. being a bit more com- confident with my ability. Because obviously, going from a stage management into... I'd worked with a lot of actors as a stage manager. Mm. So then when you say, no, I'm directing the show, it's like, are oh, you now? <laughs> and you that sort of does influence you in thinking, it's a little bit like imposter syndrome going yeah. on then. You're thinking... Am I really good enough mm. to do this? Um, I think, yeah, 20 years. I think, you know, obviously things change because funding situations change. Mm. The landscape within Wales changes. You know, we have two national theatres now. When I was starting out, there was no national theatre. Mm. Um, there was far more companies that were community-based and theatre and education was on its, you know, it was really, really strong in the country. So all that's gone, really. Mm. Um, and I've tried to keep it, keep true to that ethos that was when I first started there. But the landscape is very, mm. very different now. And it's a lot more, I don't know, I think there's a lot more. We, you know, I wouldn't, we would never think of performing in London. I don't, th- I don't think so mm. anyway. I don't think a company would have thought, of, well, we could do that. Yeah. That's opened up to us mm. massively now, um, but I think because we've had to really. Mm. Yeah, and just looking at the projects just from twenty nineteen, not even past that. You know, you took Eye of the Storm to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, you should ask Wallace to Indonesia. Yeah. UK tour of Eye of the Storm. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and we did Butterfly Hunter Butterfly as well. Hunter as yeah. Well. So, so the range is massive, isn't it? Really. Yeah, it is. It is, but that's all. That's in a way. I know people hate this, but there's no, there's not really a plan there. Mm. Opportunities come to us and we take them. That's, yeah. and you know, we could sort of go, well, no, that's not in the plan. Mm. Well, then if, if it's not in the plan, then it's not going to get done. And therefore, I don't think the company will progress. Is there a highlight for you of last Ooh. year? Oh, I left, I le- did love Hong Kong, but mm. then I, I liked Indonesia. There's, there's so many highlights, really. Um, yeah, and you know, you know, we were lucky. We, you know, we had um, with I the storm. One of the things that I like 
really sort of like really struck me was when we had a young carer in. Mm. And she was a young adult carer. Um, and she'd never seen the show before. Mm. And she was just like in the grand. I remember in the grand, they said, oh, after the show had gone, all the audience had left and she was in the thing. And she just collapsed oh, really? into my arms. Oh. And she was going, oh, how did you get my mother up there on the stage? Mm. That was my mother. That's exactly... And, you know, that's really, you know, obviously really more when you forget yeah. when you're in the middle of it all you forget the impact those stories have really mm. and so it's sort of like reaffirmed for me that yeah okay it's not going to win any awards but the fact that it can move and that for that girl she felt then that there was her story was worthy then yeah of being yeah. told yeah. you know it wasn't her story but it was just that she's just saw the similarities mm. which was like mm. and there that was that I think that was a real oh my god this is this is why we do what we do yeah sort of thing. and just for the audience just so if they haven't seen Eye of the Storm yeah do you want to give us just a brief um overview yeah so Eye of the Storm is about a young carer whose mother suffers from bipolar and she you know she feels a real duty to looking after her mother but also she has this dream of um going out to the Midwest of America to be a storm chaser. Um, and the only way she can do that is by doing a competition, a STEM competition, like a Crest mm-hmm. Award for the school and where she invents artificial tornado for renewable energy. Yeah. Nice. So it's a really convoluted story. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and all the music then was done, obviously, by... Um, not obviously, because you probably wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> by Amy Wodge. So it was, that was like... Mm. Amazing, yeah. amazing, and all the shows this year seem to have like reflect a sort of similar theme of uh, the environment mm. and looking at sort of sustainability in that sense. Um, and you started your own blog as well yeah. uh, about your journey towards being more eco, sort of friendly yeah. and stuff. And you know, um, is that a conscious decision you've made? to implement that not just in your own life but as well within the company or yeah it's it's always funny how these things come about isn't it because the, I don't think there's any strategy I don't have a plan there's no there's no strategy here at all it is completely random mm. however you create things obviously things must influence you but mm. you're probably not aware of them influencing you and it was only when we did Eye of the Storm the first time round, and the inventor of the artificial tornado, the, the real inventor, Louis, Louis Michaud, he said to me, he said, do you do realise that you've created a show that could change the way young people see climate change? I didn't even think for one minute about that. Mm. That wasn't the intention of that show at all. And once he said that, me and Amy were like, oh my God, we've got a res- real responsibility here. Yeah. So that changed things around. Also, I think, you know, listening to, like I saw David Attenborough programme about, was it, I don't think it was Blue Planet. Um, it was Our Earth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like yeah, that. I can't yeah. remember what the title was. Mm. And I just remember being mortified mm. that we are completely, you know, and I think as well, I think because... You know, when I was growing up, you know, you'd you'd go up the hill and you'd play in the ferns or whatever it may be, and nature was all around you, but you weren't really aware of, you know, even yeah. though I grew up in the valleys and stuff. But, you know, when you look back and you're thinking, oh, what if our kids don't have that? Mm. And it's simple things like walking into a wood. What if they haven't got a woodland? What if, mm. you know, what if... 
the climate changes so drastically that we have really hot, hot summers. And, mm. you know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, the things... And I know it's like, oh, well, they'll have something else, won't they? They may be, they'd be different then. It'd be warmer for them. I'm thinking, no. Yeah. Having the seasons, it's like simple things like that. Mm. You, that is all going to go. And that really struck me, mm. I know. And then there was, like, a driver then for us to sort of think, well, I've got to think more consciously about what I'm doing to the planet so if I'm doing that I'm gonna like talk to people in work how they you know mm. we, you know again like I travel to work I've traveled to work for 20 years mm. on that motorway in a car in a diesel car mm. so I'm just my footprint is huge mm. you know I've, this year you know I've flown Hong Kong China um and Indonesia, mm. and we went to Spain on holidays, all by flying, so that yeah. wasn't, you know, so it's like, yeah, yeah, you're saying all these things, but what are you actually doing, you know, mm. and I, it's really difficult to be puritanical about it, and, mm. but, you know, like, then I went and started researching into, like, um, oh, carbon footprint, you know, yeah. you pay, was offsetting, yeah. offsetting, so I did a lot of that, but it's still not right, you mm. know, and... It's difficult, isn't it, it's like, because... So I think sometimes you feel like, oh, I can do all this stuff, but then if Fred down the road completely offsets the good I'm doing, it does feel like yeah. sometimes it feels a bit of like, oh, it's so heavy, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think it's like it's like Ripple, though, isn't it? You start something and that sets up. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think it yeah. is, you've got, you, I think you've got to start somewhere. Mm. Um, sometimes, though, especially like being out in Indonesia, mm. seeing all that plastic pollution, you're just thinking, yeah. oh, this is a real, this is like... Because here, I think, in this country, we recycle and we mm. do, you know, we're quite, um, you know, we're quite good, really. Yeah. Out there, it was just, you know, we, we couldn't believe it. We were really? absolutely flabbergasted at mm. the, the 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 plastic pollution that was there. There mm. was no sense of recycling or being right. mindful of any of that. And then we were thinking, oh, this is hopeless then. This mm. is going to be... And I think that's the thing, is just having hope that it can change that has to keep you going then yeah. otherwise you may as well and I, th- I think it can I think it I think it will I think but it's it is dependent on really young people going mm. what are you doing you know like the Greta Thunberg thing is like like she is but not just her who yeah. all that age group mm. are like going no this is not good enough you know you have to change mm. and I think that's where as a theatre company we've got a responsibility so mm. that that's why we have to there was something today that I shared which I'm like it's visible fictions or a theatre company based oh, in Scotland yes, yeah. they're doing uh, plastic free Fridays or something mm. you know I think that's I think little little things like that can go a long way and yeah. I think it's so it's like today now I had meetings so I was cycling you know mm. so I sort of said oh I'm gonna have I'm saying to Eric I said oh all right, my Fridays are going to be carbon-free Fridays. And he goes, well, it's not really carbon-free, is it? Because you'll be using electricity and you're using... Yeah, and I go, yeah. So then, all right, then I'll do a car-free Friday. Yeah. So I've just got to start doing as much as I can, really. Mm. And in, in work now, you know, we have... Um, it's been brilliant, actually, having Extinction Rebellion Neath. Ah, oh, really? They come ah. in to have meetings, you see, in Nanork. And um, that has been really good because sitting in those meetings like it's not just like oh they're having use in the room mm. i think we have to basically be in those meetings because i don't know what it is to be an activist 
you know, yes, being very lucky, yeah. you know, like, you know, you know, I went on the poll tax march and things like that and C&D probably when I was younger, but I'm not an activist. And mm. that sort of part of me, like, was thinking, right, that's it, I'm going to be a professional activist. <laughs> and it's like, um, how do you, how do you do that, you know? Yeah. But so having Extinction Rebellion there, and these people are amazingly brave and everything, they say, right, this is how we're going to do it. And it's like, but it's really conscious of doing it in a way that they don't cheese people off. Yeah. Really aware of, you know, that they're not, they are rebels, but they're really mindful of, Mm. you know, what the cause is and everything. And I, sitting in those meetings is brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. So I'm glad now, because we finished touring and everything, I can go back now. And we've got a meeting next Tuesday, next Wednesday, next Wednesday, they're coming in. So nice. I'd be glad to see them. They're lovely, really lovely people, mm. you know, normal, ordinary people who do ordinary jobs, but just want to save the planet. Mm. So it's like, yay, nice. it's cool. Yeah. yeah. I was interested in taking the story of Alfred Russell Wallace out to Indonesia. <gasps> um, so do you want to explain first to everybody who Alfred Russell Wallace is? Okay. So, Alfred Russell Wallace was born in Esk, Llambadoc, a little village. And when he was 14, he left school like most Victorian kids did, I would imagine. And he had this, he had this sort of question about why are there so many different types of beetles or what, different species and things like this? Why, why would there be so many different types? And he wanted to follow that. He wanted to find that out. So, he just travelled all over the world collecting um, species, beetles, butterflies, these sort of things, to study to study them. And then he ends up in Malay Archipelago and he travels around there. I think he's out there for eight years. Mm. And while he's out there, he realises that one part of the the archipelago is has a certain type of um, plants and animals and the other part has plants that are belonging to um, Australia. Mm. So he realises that there must have been some sort of line, like a ravine, where these plants couldn't cross over. Mm. So so it's basically split. The the planet is split down the middle by this the Wallace line. So he so they in Indonesia really respect him out there. Like also when he was out there he wrote a letter. He writes the theory down of the theory of evolution by natural selection. He writes it down. And he writes it to Darwin to just check it, really, I think. Just say, do you think this is, you know... Well, of course, Darwin had been plodding along with this idea for about 20 years. And he he really got, oh, my God, this is, you know, I'm going to be scuppered here. Mm. And so they 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 present it together. So it's, it's called, in other parts of the world, the Wallace-Darwin theory. Um. But because Darwin wrote The Origin of Species... Mm. Um, everybody forgets Wallace and they all remember Darwin so it's been ever since I heard that story I'm like and the fact that he's Welsh Mm. it's like yeah isn't that just typical like Mm. we just we and we you know he's an extremely humble man Wallace so you know that's great to be humble and things like that and generous and all that but it's like sometimes people will forget that you are yeah that you've done these amazing things Mm. so in Malay in the Malay Archipelago and in Indonesia, he's really revered. Mm. So for us to go out there with the show that we've been doing for like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, 10 years. You know, it was like, it was a little bit like the Holy Grail, mm. I think. You know, and it was like so many people wanted photographs with Johan. Yeah. Who, you know, obviously he, he was all in the Wallace garb. <laughs> um, 
yeah, they were like, oh my God, we with, they thought they were with Wallace. Like, yeah. It was like really, I was lovely. It was fantastic. Mm. What an amazing, and you know, part of it as well was the fact that it was all about biodiversity and conservation. They've got to look after the those, those forests in Borneo, yeah. you know, with the orangutan, and they've just been decimated. You know, we have to start looking after this, otherwise it'll go and it'll go forever. And, mm. and that beauty, that everything, you know, the beauty of nature is going to just disappear. I'm mm. like, what are we like? What are yeah. we if we cannot look after that? It was very much about what Wallace wanted as well. And so he is like, um, almost like the poster boy for that for me. <laughs> and I think, you know, and he's, a, he's, I just think his whole spirit is something that I think we should emulate. Yeah. And it's, a sh- it's shocking, really, that... He's not on the syllabus in Wales. He's mm. not, you know, Welsh education really need to get their act together on that because they've got a gift in him, in everything about him. Not just um, um, natural history, but like he was, you know, he had an interest in so many different things. He, you can, you can get loads of stuff out of the out of him for the curriculum, and he's just being ignored. Like mm. it's just odd. Yeah. yeah. And what was it like working with an Indonesian actor out there? Because obviously. Uh, you were sort of translating as you went yeah because when we got out there in the past when we've taken the show out to other countries we've just done our show mm. in english or when we were in rio de janeiro there was a um a brazilian actor out there who did in portuguese mm. play straight straight translation this was different is that they really wanted us to integrate with um indonesian actors so i worked with a an amazing bloke called Abdi Korea and he was like oh he's just like the loveliest man ever so lovely and he was direct so he co-directed the show oh, right and as we're going through it we're thinking oh we need these actors to do more than just be token mm. characters within it now when Wallace went to Makassar he met a man called um oh, I'm gonna get this wrong now hold on it's Badaroon and Ali and Ali was quite key to Wallace collecting because he would go out and shoot great, you know, I know it's, 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 it feels odd now, but he would um, shoot Birds of Paradise and things like that. So mm. he was, and Badrun brought him a Bird of Paradise. So these bo- boys were really key for him mm. in his in his job of um, collecting different species. So it was important that we integrate these characters into the show. Um and also because Wallace would have learned the language yeah. and he would have immersed himself in the culture. So it was, it was all in keeping. It was perfect, really. So we worked with these um, two actors out there, Vikram and Yoss. And they were oh, beautiful people, like really, but no English. Right. So I have no Indonesian. Mm. Yogi, Johanna did like a little bit. Actually, quite a bit, actually. He was quite good. Abdi had excellent English, mm. so that helped. But that experience of working in another language yeah. was brilliant and even though I speak Welsh so that's my other language say English and Welsh they've got loads of languages I think it's mm. something and I may get this wrong but maybe for, I think they've got 400 languages out there mm. maybe more than that different languages and in Makassar in Sulawesi where we were on that island there are four distinct tribes so have their own languages mm. and they just get on yeah and I think, oh, God, if only we have a problem with just one language over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a big issue for us, you know. Mm. It shouldn't be at all. You know, we're a bilingual country as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So it just, that was so enlightening. Mm. I loved I loved it. I loved it out there. And I think it was a good, it's always good going out somewhere and you think, you know, I know what, I know what this is going to be about. This I know what I'm going to learn. And then you go and go, oh, my God, I was not expecting to learn about this. Yeah. 
you know, I think sometimes you sort of think, you know, I think from the outside, you see in a theatre company travelling all over the world, going, oh, yeah, they're just going on jollies. It's like, yeah, well, you actually... Travel, for me, is everything. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, even... You can just gain so much from that. Um, and I think as well what's important is that we tell our stories... Because they had no, the only thing that they knew of Wales in Indonesia was Gareth Bale and Ryan Giggs. <laughs> you know, and you're like going, well, at least you've heard of Wales. Yeah. I suppose that's something. You know, but thank God for Gareth Bale and Ryan Giggs, really. Yeah. You know, and the Euros and all that, you know. Um, so it was great to be sort of, you know, part of that. And mm. that we were from this country that was a really proud nation and of our own language. And we want to share our stories I think that's really important, you know, mm. to have those opportunities. So, you know, got it. You know, the British Council were amazing, and the British yeah. Council they were incredible. Mm. I loved working with them. Yeah. Oh, lush. And you obviously wrote. You should ask Wallace. Yeah. And I the Storm. Yeah. How do you find directing stuff you've written? And yeah, is it tricky or? No, it's easy. It's yeah. good. It's good actually because you can sit in the room. And you can go, oh, it's in working. And you don't have to sort of discuss and you don't have to sort of say, to, sorry, my dog going there. <laughs> um, you don't have to censor yourself. Yeah. You don't have to sort of think, right, how can I say to the writer, oh, this bit isn't working. Mm. And sort of you try and second guess, oh, how... Because obviously it's like you're putting your soul into something mm. and you've got, you've got to be sensitive to how people react to that. Whereas if it's yourself, you just go, oh, God, that is the worst bit of dialogue I've ever heard. That's, like, <laughs> like obviously not working. And you can just cut yeah. or move things around. You're, you're braver with the stuff. Being a writer, what it has taught me, though, is that I have to be a little bit more explicit in my writing. Because if I give my script to somebody else to direct, they're like, what is that about? Yeah. So... Do you find you write more for yourself, yeah. thinking I'm going to direct this, and then? Yeah, and I think sometimes that's that's the problem, mm. and I, you know, because I, you know, I can I've got confidence that I can solve things in the room. Whereas if I'm giving it to a director, who who has got confidence, but is a little bit like, what on earth does this mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, so there's a bit of that going on. Mm. I think as well, I, because my background as a stage manager and as a technician or whatever, I. I can see it, so I write a lot of how it's supposed to look. Yeah. So whereas normally you'd give that freedom to a designer, I yeah. already know what it's got to look like. Yeah, yeah. And I think that has been, I've got to try and learn now not to do that because I'm too dictatorial with designers. Mm. I should let them have the freedom to, well, actually, I don't see it like this, Kane. I think it shouldn't... I don't think it should have a caravan at all. I think it should have... You know, and I... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's little things like that, really. I don't give them enough scope, mm. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I love... I love... Um, I love writing stuff. Um, I, and weirdly, I think now is that I feel much more... Um, privileged. I'm really, really lucky that I can, I can sit in a room... And, and I'm given the opportunity to write something. Mm. You know, it's like, I've always sort of gone, oh, God, I've got to write this play now. It's like, sh- shut up. Yeah. Shut up. There's a lot of people who would, you know, would mm. love to be in that position, so just crack on now, mm. you know. I think that across the board with anybody who works in the arts, really, yes, it's hard, yes, balancing work, like, oh, and yeah, I get it, but 
you could be working in an intensive care unit, couldn't you? Yeah. You could be, you know, and I know it's like, we are really, really, and they're not saying that people shouldn't, you know, that's not to say that people should be exploited, I'm not saying that, mm. but check yourself. Yeah. You know, mm. and because it's going to get harder. If you think it's hard now, it's going to get really harder in the, mm. in the coming years, definitely. Mm. And are you looking forward to all the projects coming up in 2020 now? Yeah, I'm nervous, like. Are you? Yeah, I am nervous, yeah, because um, we've got... The, the big one for us, which we just heard before Christmas, is Operation Julie. So we've got the money to do that. Amazing. Is that a co-production? Yes, yeah, co-production with Aberystwyth. And it's also going to tie in with... And part of the reason why I'm, like, not rushing it through, but we've got to do it this year, is because the Eisteddfod is in Tregaron. Amazing. So where all that happened, where the whole thing stemmed mm. from, the whole story belongs in Tregaron, we're going to do the, you know, we won't be part of the Eisteddfod um, because the play will be in Welsh and in English. Yeah. Um, but it will be a very much a focal point of that week. Yeah. In Aberystwyth Art Centre, yeah. So we knew just before Christmas, um, there's still a few little bits and pieces that the Arts Council want us to sort out, which is fine, we'll get that done. Um but we, we, you know, it's like, we saw rehearsals in July, which that's, like, normal. Yeah. this is very short prep. Mm. And I've written a draft that needs huge improvements on it. So I'm basically going to rewrite that. Mm. Um, I've been really lucky. I've been able to meet with people who were involved in it. Mm. And I've met this an amazing bloke called Andy Roberts, who is, like, the, like the history of LSD in this country. He's your man. <laughs> he's amazing he is like mm. and I went up to meet him and he lives up in North Wales he's just and he's so generous he gave me all his file the whole file on Operation wow. Julian his research mm. give me everything emails that he'd had with people involved in it mm. you know so all of that and he mm. basically just gave me the file and said oh send it back to me so I'm driving through Wales with this file thinking oh my god that's all his research I'm going to yeah. have to be very careful with it um, so I sent it back to him just before Christmas and he, it arrived so that's, thank, thank God for that <laughs> but that was like gold dust yeah. there was stuff in there because I know that there's three feature films there's two feature films and a TV series all in development on Operation Julie wow. so there are little nuggets of joy in that yeah. that I don't know is common knowledge yeah. so it's like that's what you're looking for because the story's fairly well known mm. and there's lots of myths around it but you need you know, it's, a lot of people say to me, what is the story? Whose story is it? And mm. what is the story? Yeah. You know, and it's like the story is so massive. Mm. It's such an expansive story. You've got to be really careful that it doesn't run away with you. So yeah. you have to focus on... A particular... A particular thing, mm. yeah. And I think I've been like, oh, I don't know what it is, I don't know what it is, I don't know what it is. And mm. like, over Christmas, I'm like, that's what it is. Yeah. And I'm going to stick with that now. Nice. Yeah. Because it's basically based around the one of the biggest drug busts in yeah, yeah. So it's basically the um, yeah. I think once they caught everybody, it was something like ninety percent of LSD was wiped out of the UK. Wow. Mm. So ninety, I think all from Tregaron. <laughs> so ninety percent UK LSD was they they believe was produced. Then sixty percent of the world's LSD all came from there. Mm. Like that is phenomenal. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's great. It's a great. It's you know. I just and I just think the ideology and again going back to our environmental thing. This is this is what's quite interesting as well is that 
Kemp's ideology was about people freeing their minds mm. to to look at the world in a different way to you know so that we stop being consumers this material we have to stop otherwise mm. we cannot the planet will not be able to take any more of us mm. just drawing from it and we haven't learned that mm. you know LSD was a was a method in freeing people from that material materialistic thinking and you know he says he says you know you can get the same kick out of and the same buzz from meditation or from mm. yoga you know you don't have to take lsd unless he's almost like a fast track mm. um but no one would listen to him and mm. so we're in the situation now and he prophesies that mm. in his in his theses um in the in the one of the last days of the court case mm. and you read it and you're like oh my god we're actually in that we're in that world now so mm. in a way the link towards environmentalism comes from Operation Julie as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I still get goosebumps when I think of what he said. You're like, oh, no. You know, Trump is almost prophesied in it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah, it's brilliant. So I think the, the thing for me is is that shows always have to have a relevance mm. to the world that we're living in now. Mm. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I just finish every podcast with my guests finishing three sentences. Uh-oh, okay. Okay? <laughs> so the first sentence is, I love what I do because... Oh, okay. I love what I do because it makes me feel alive. In five years' time... Yeah, okay. In five years' time, we will have a Labour government. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Final one is I'm happiest when I'm happiest when I'm either somewhere warm or sitting here in this room with my dog Ralph with a fire on, either scrolling through <laughs> social media <laughs> like a saddo or listening to Radio 4. Nice, brilliant! Cool. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, Dave. Lovely. Do you want to say anything? Ralph, are you going to say something? <laughs> 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 Thank you so much to Gaina for sitting down and having a chat. She's incredibly busy, so it was brilliant just to have a bit of time to have a catch-up and see what's been going on over the last 12 months at Nanorg. Really excited for all the shows coming up in the new year. A massive thank you as well to Ralph for the amazing sound effects uh, throughout the podcast. It's the nature of the beast, really. I travel to people's houses or they come to mine and it's the nature of of the thing it was brilliant if you want to check Gaynor's work out um go have a look on theatre.org's website it's theatre n-a-n-o-g um and they're also on all the social medias so go have a look at them on there a massive thank you to joshua david bartholomew for our music and a massive thank you to all of you guys for listening if you enjoyed what you heard today or any of our other episodes let us know leave a comment like our pages share with your friends you know you know the drill i'll speak to you all again soon bye